Section six of History of Henry the Fourth, King of France and Navarre by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter two Civil War Part three. Europe was manifestly preparing for another dreadful religious conflict. The foreboding cloud blackened the skies. The young Prince of Navarre had not yet taken his side. Both Catholics and Protestants left no exertions untried to win to their cause so important an auxiliary. Henry had warm friends in the court of Navarre and in the court of Saint-Cloud. He was bound by many ties to both Catholics and Protestants. Love of pleasure, of self-indulgence, of power urged him to cast in his lot with the Catholics. Reverence for his mother inclined him to adopt the weaker party who were struggling for purity of morals and of faith to be popular with his subjects in his own kingdom of navarre he must be a protestant to be popular in france to whose throne he was already casting a wistful eye it was necessary for him to be a catholic he vacillated between these views of self-interest his conscience and his heart were untouched both parties were aware of the magnitude of the weight he could place in either scale while each deemed it quite uncertain which cause he would espouse. His father had died contending for the Catholic faith, and all knew that the throne of Catholic France was one of the prizes which the young Prince of Navarre had a fair chance of obtaining. His mother was the most illustrious leader of the Protestant forces on the continent, and the crown of Henry's hereditary domain could not repose quietly upon any brow but that of a Protestant such was the state of affairs when the clangor of arms again burst upon the ear of europe france was the arena of woe upon which the catholics and the protestants of england and the continent hurled themselves against each other catherine breathing vengeance headed the catholic armies jeanne calm yet inflexible was recognized as the head of the protestant leaders and was alike the idol of the common soldiers and of their generals the two contending armies, after various marchings and countermarchings, met at Rochelle. The whole country around, for many leagues, was illuminated at night by the campfires of the hostile hosts. The Protestants, inferior in numbers, with hymns and prayers, calmly awaited an attack. The Catholics, divided in council, were fearful of hazarding a decisive engagement. Day after day thus passed with occasional skirmishes, when one sunny morning the sound of trumpets was heard and the gleam of the spears and banners of an approaching host was seen on the distant hills. The joyful tidings spread through the ranks of the Protestants that the Queen of Navarre with her son and four thousand troops had arrived. At the head of her firm and almost invincible band she rode, calm and serene, magnificently mounted with her proud boy by her side as the queen and her son entered the plain an exultant shout from the whole protestant host seemed to rend the skies these enthusiastic plaudits loud long reiterated sent dismay to the hearts of the catholics jeanne presented her son to the protestant army and solemnly dedicated him to the defence of the protestant faith at the same time she published a declaration to the world that she deplored the horrors of war that she was not contending for the oppression of others but to secure for herself and her friends the right to worship god according to the teachings of the bible 
the young prince was placed under the charge of the most experienced generals to guard his person from danger and to instruct him in military science the prince of conde was his teacher in that terrible accomplishment in which both master and pupil have obtained such world-wide renown long files of english troops with trumpet tones and waving banners and heavy artillery were seen winding their way along the streams of france hastening to the scene of conflict the heavy battalions of the pope were marshalling upon all the sunny plains of italy and the banners of the rushing squadrons glittered from the pinnacles of the alps as europe rose in arms desolating ten thousand homes with conflagrations and blood and woe could the pen record the smouldering ruins the desolate hearthstones the shrieks of mortal agony the wailings of the widow the cry of the orphan which thus resulted from man's inhumanity to man the heart would sicken at the recital the summer passed away in marches and countermarches in assassinations and skirmishes and battles the fields of the husbandmen were trampled under the hoofs of horses villages were burned to the ground and their wretched inhabitants driven out in nakedness and starvation to meet the storms of merciless winter noble ladies and refined and beautiful maidens fled shrieking from the pursuit of brutal and licentious soldiers still neither party gained any decisive victory the storms of winter came and beat heavily with frost and drifting snow upon the worn and weary hosts in three months ten thousand protestants had perished at orleans two hundred protestants were thrown into prison the populace set the prison on fire and they were all consumed at length the catholic armies having become far more numerous than the protestant ventured upon a general engagement they met upon the field of jarnac the battle was conducted by the reformers with a degree of fearlessness bordering on desperation the prince of conde plunged into the thickest ranks of the enemy with his unfurled banner bearing the motto danger is sweet for christ and my country just as he commenced his desperate charge a kick from a wounded horse fractured his leg so severely that the fragments of the bone protruded through his boot pointing to the mangled and helpless limb he said to those around him remember the state in which louis of bourbon enters the fight for christ and his country immediately sounding the charge like a whirlwind his little band plunged into the midst of their foes for a moment the shock was irresistible and the assailed fell like grass before the scythe of the mower soon however the undaunted band was entirely surrounded by their powerful adversaries the prince of conde with but about two hundred and fifty men with indomitable determination sustained himself against the serried ranks of five thousand men closing up around him on every side this was the last earthly conflict of the prince of conde with his leg broken and his arm nearly severed from his body his horse fell dead beneath him and the prince deluged with blood was precipitated into the dust under the trampling hoofs of wounded and frantic chargers his men still fought with desperation around their wounded chieftain of twenty-five nephews who accompanied him fifteen were slain by his side soon after his defenders were cut down or dispersed the wounded prince an invaluable prize was taken prisoner montesquieu 
captain of the guards of the duke of anjou came riding up and as he saw the prisoner attracting much attention besmeared with blood and dirt whom have we here he inquired the prince of conde was the exultant reply kill him kill him exclaimed the captain and he discharged a pistol at his head the ball passed through his brain and the prince fell lifeless upon the ground the corpse was left where it fell and the catholic troops pursued their foes now flying in every direction the protestants retreated across a river blew up the bridge and protected themselves from farther assault the next day the duke of anjou the younger brother of charles the ninth and who afterwards became henry the third who was one of the leaders of the catholic army rode over the field of battle to find if possible the body of his illustrious enemy we had not rode far says one who accompanied him when we perceived a great number of the dead bodies piled up in a heap which led us to judge that this was the spot where the body of the prince was to be found in fact we found it there baron de moniac took the corpse by the hair to lift up the face which was turned toward the ground and asked me if i recognized him but as one eye was torn out and his face was covered with blood and dirt i could only reply that it was certainly his height and his complexion but farther i could not say they washed the bloody and mangled face and found that it was indeed the prince his body was carried with infamous ribaldry on an ass to the castle of jarnac and thrown contemptuously upon the ground several illustrious prisoners were brought to the spot and butchered in cold blood and their corpses thrown upon that of the prince while the soldiers passed a night of drunkenness and revelry exulting over the remains of their dead enemies such was the terrible battle of jarnac the first conflict which henry witnessed the tidings of this great victory and the death of the illustrious conde excited transports of joy among the catholics charles the ninth sent to pope pius v the standards taken from the protestants the pope who affirmed that luther was a ravenous beast and that his doctrines were the sum of all crimes wrote to the king a letter of congratulation he urged him to extirpate every fibre of heresy regardless of all entreaty and of every tie of blood and affection to encourage him he cited the example of saul exterminating the amalekites and assured him that all tendency to clemency was a snare of the devil the catholics now considered the condition of the protestants as desperate the pulpits resounded with imprecations and anathemas the catholic priests earnestly advocated the sentiment that no faith was to be kept with heretics that to massacre them was an action essential to the safety of the state and which would secure the approbation of god but the protestants though defeated were still unsubdued the noble admiral coligny still remained to them and after the disaster jeanne d'aubray presented herself before the troops holding her son henry then fourteen years of age by one hand and henry son of the prince de conde by the other and devoted them both to the cause the young henry of navarre was then proclaimed a generalissimo of the army and protector of the churches he took the following oath i swear to defend the protestant religion and to persevere in the common cause till death or till victory has secured for all the liberty which we desire End of section six